Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. are, yeah, week two of this series. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, um, and uh, it's some of the most condensed and potent and uh, challenging and encouraging and and all of these things combined in Jesus' teachings. A lot of people are familiar with this sermon. They've heard some of these things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we live the way that Jesus is calling us to live. Uh, It's interesting, though. We talk about this idea of discipleship. Really, the church is the only place that we use this word discipleship or being a disciple. It comes from the scriptures as we kind of are familiar and talk about the 12 disciples and what it meant for them to follow Jesus. And and so for us in in our Christian faith and our belief in Jesus, if you've made that decision, there's this this challenge, this invitation for us to follow the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus has modeled for us to live, the way he has taught or commanded for us to live, that is, that's what we are called to do. We're called to be disciples of Jesus's. We don't always use that word, a disciple, about ourselves, but that's really what it is. I think sometimes uh, we fall into this trap of thinking that disciples or discipleship, that it only happens in a Christian context or it only happens at church. But the reality is, is that we are all, you and I, all week long are being discipled by all kinds of things. Uh, some of you right now are heavily discipled by NBA playoffs. Uh, some of you guys uh, are, were heavily discipled by UFC fights last night. Uh, some of you guys are discipled by news or by music or by movies. This idea of being discipled is really anything that, is, that we are learning, that's shaping our hearts, that's shaping our minds, that's, that's influencing the way that we act and interact and love and use who we are and how God has created us in our relationships with others. So it's really important for us, especially as we are on this journey of following Jesus, that we recognize that discipleship, learning and being transformed by Jesus is a, an important piece for each one of us to consider and to navigate in our lives. Uh, a lot of people, for many of us, that looks like attending church once a week or once a month or whatever that looks like. And there's so many other things that happen all week long. And so as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's teachings of how he wants us to live, of, of what the kingdom of God looks like, of how he expects us to navigate relationships and, and, and uh, reality, work, all these different things, it's super important for us to say, okay, I'm going to read this. I'm going to try and read it almost like it's for the first time, and I'm going to figure out how do I apply this to my day-to-day life? How do I look at what it means to do this in reality, not just to read a sacred text, but also to actually live it out? You guys, you guys on board with that? Does that sound fun? Thank you. I know that it doesn't always sound fun, but this is the gift of what does it mean to experience wholeness and healing and transformation in our lives. It's to take the teachings of Jesus and say, okay, how does this apply to my life? Uh, Why does this make a difference? And what does it look like for me to actually start to to live this way? Um, So uh, yesterday I had a a wedding um, that I was officiating. Uh, It was in L.A., which is just the worst place. Uh, I'm not a fan of driving to... It's not really L.A. It's the, the drive to L.A. I was like, you know what? It's a Saturday. It's probably not going to be too bad. Uh, there's not going to be any traffic on a Saturday, right? And of course, there was, uh, which is great. Um, I, uh, I was going to this wedding venue. I'd never been there before. 
I knew I was going to be in the car for a little while, and so I just wore shorts and a t-shirt, and I had my suit with me, and I was going to change when I got to the wedding. And so I get there, I pull up, it's valet parking, but not like you pull into a parking lot, and then they valet park your car. It's like I'm on a street in Hollywood, and I'm just stopped, waiting for the valet guy to come to the car. Because of traffic, I was not late, but I was like a little bit tighter than I would have wanted to be on the schedule. So I'm like, okay, like gonna be okay, Chris. Like, I consider just getting out of my car and leaving it. Like, it's, a, you know, it's not that nice of a car. Just whoever wants it, just park it somewhere close. Uh, but uh, but I, I waited. The guy came, and I got out of the car. And at this point, other guests are starting to arrive for the wedding. Other people are starting to show up. They're dressed very nicely. Uh, and I was still in shorts and a t-shirt. And, uh, and so the guy comes, and I get out of the car, and he looks at me like this. And he's like, are you working the wedding? Uh, and I was like, Kind of, I'm the officiant, and he's like, oh, if you're working the wedding, you got to park your own car. I was like, oh, no, that's not going to work. Uh, for me, the couple said I could do valet parking. He's like, um, are you working? I'm like, the Lord's work. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Uh, I was like, well, I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm officiating the wedding. He's like, yeah, vendors have to park their own cars. I was like, sir, I'm running late. This wedding isn't going to happen if I don't get in there and get changed. I was like, can we just please figure this out? And he's like, okay. he's like, rolls his eyes. He's really upset about it. I'm like, okay, so I grab my bag, I've got like this little go bag, uh, grab my uh, computer bag, and I run inside, I'm trying to find the bathroom, I get in there, find the bathroom, uh, go to change, and I realize I left my suit in the car. (laughs) And I had this moment of like, what did I do to deserve this? (laughs) Like I just picture that guy just trashing my car, parking it as far as possible, and now I've got to go track it down. But there's like this moment of like, Come on, man. Like, I've tried so hard. I've done so many good things with my life. I, I, what is it that, why is this happening to me? Why is this the process that I'm dealing with right now? I go outside. Luckily, he was arguing with somebody else at the valet stand, and my car was still there. So I was able to get my suit, and everything went fine. Uh, but we all have these moments, and maybe it's silly moments, but we all have these moments where we kind of ask ourselves, like, what did I do to deserve this? It's this question of like, man, I don't think I've done anything wrong. I don't think I've offended anybody. I I feel like I've tried to do the right things. I've tried to act the right way. You know, I've not acted on all of my impulses. Why is this happening to me now? And I think one of the realities is that uh, for all of us, not Christians specifically, but also Christians, uh, not just religious people specifically, but also religious people, all of us have this aspect where we really, um, it, it's hard for us to get away from believing that what we're experiencing is caused by God's happiness with us or displeasure with us or the universe's displeasure with us. The idea of what I put out into the universe is what I get back for myself. So whether it's true uh, belief in karma, Hinduism or Buddhism, or whether it's just kind of like a, a light karma drizzle on our other belief systems, we all kind of have this internal struggle of believing that what I'm experiencing is based off of how God feels about me. Uh, what did I do to deserve this? Uh, this question, we, we ask these types of things. And this was just as true, maybe even more so in the ancient Near East, 
Um, whether things were going well or whether things were falling apart, whether crops were growing or whether crops were struggling, it was all based on whether or not they believed that the gods were happy with them or were angry with them. And as Israel comes into its own as a nation, it starts to set itself apart from these other religions and other nations, they have this unique difference in that they believe that there is this one true God, but there's these effects that still plague Israel and their belief, their perspective of who God is. And there's still this tendency that they had to believe of this idea that what we do changes how God sees us and views us and interacts and loves us and blesses us. And this carries over. And even in Jesus' day, this is something that is really held on to in uh, in that time. It was something that was taught by religious leaders of that time. There was this cultural understanding. If you were poor, if you were sick, if you had some sort of dysfunction or you were a person that had a disability, uh, it was understood that this was a byproduct of a way that you had acted or that your family had acted that God was displeased with. And so this was the price for what was happening. The time of Jesus, most people believed that the healthy and the powerful, the rich, the respected, the educated were clearly favored by God. The logic was pretty simple. If you looked good, it's because you must be good. It's because God must be with you and for you. You must be, you must be blessed for your religious devotion, for your piety or piousness. Piety? I think that word works. Now I just want pie, though. Uh, but the opposite was also true. If you were poor, uh, if you were broken, if you were downtrodden, if you had struggled, that there was this understanding of, you know, you had done something wrong and God is not happy with you. Um, and even the religious leaders, they tried to tra- trap Jesus in these conversations of, why is this man uh, this way? Is it something that his parents did that caused him to be this way? A mistake that they had, that was this, this mindset of, God's happiness or displeasure with you immediately affected your status in life, your position in life. There was this cultural desire to be perceived as blessed by God, and it often led people in that culture to kind of project this public image, totally different than the way it is today. Uh, Nobody ever projects any sort of facade these days. So... Uh, we have this kind of setting um, of this understanding of our position, our, our lot in life, the way things are, good, bad, uh, painful, happy, whatever it is, it's based on whether or not God is pleased with us. And then Jesus sees a crowd gathering and he walks up onto a mountain and in verse 2 of Matthew 5, it says, he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." We've probably heard these words. I would imagine even if you are not a Jesus follower, you probably are familiar with these words. Some of us are so familiar with these words that when we read these verses, it's the only time in our life that we ever say the word blessed. Nobody ever says blessed, 
but we're familiar that that's how you're supposed to say it when you read these verses. There's this familiarity, and along with that comes kind of a, a numbness, I think, but the reality is that these people, this crowd, Jesus wasn't talking to a few wealthy people or the religious elite. He was talking to crowds of people, people that had been crushed under the weight of Rome and the the taxes, uh, the, the pain, the, the, all the stuff that came along with that. These people that believed that God's presence or blessing or love for them was visible based on how their life was going. Jesus stands up and starts to teach them this thing that would have sounded insane in that moment. What do you mean, blessed are the poor in spirit? Probably not. Blessed are those who mourn? That doesn't make any sense. What, none of this would have been something that they would have been familiar with. These concepts would have been something, they wouldn't have been something that they were comfortable with. It would have been wildly uh, upside down. And I think we lose an aspect of that understanding because we're familiar with these words and, and, and we're familiar with these ideas. But Jesus flips the common understanding of who was valuable what made someone worthy, and, and really, especially who had God's presence in their life. He, he turned all of that upside down. And so what I want to do is uh, I want to talk about this a little bit this morning, and we're going to see how many of these Beatitudes that we can kind of get through. I wasn't able to actually get through all of them in first service, so we'll see what I could do here today. But I spent the, a large part of my life, probably the first 30 years of my life, kind of holding on to this idea of, well, kind of this kind of the better I am, the, the less I sin, the more I give, the more I serve, the better my life will be. This kind of karma idea of, of what that looks like. I, I had that in one hand, and then in the other hand, I also had read the Beatitudes. I grew up in church. I knew what these were, and, and I was just like a little bit sad because I thought, maybe what some of you think, that Jesus is, is a bigger fan of people that are poor and meek and mourny mornier people than I was. So for me to be fully loved by God or for me to be preferred by God or for me to have more of God's blessing that I had to become these things. And I think that's the first thing I kind of just want to address is that this is not necessarily a to-do list. This isn't necessarily like a list of boxes that we need to check. Now there's some things we're going to talk through here, but this is a, a proclamation of good news that this is that God is with even the people that seem like God is not with. Even the people that we look like and say, man, they must have done something to anger the guy upstairs. Jesus is saying, no, God is with the morning. God is with the people that are working for peace. God is with the people that show mercy. God is with the people who are poor in spirit. Jesus isn't describing how to be blessed. He's describing who is blessed. This idea of being blessed, it, um, the word is translated depending on the Bible that you are reading. Sometimes it says happy are those or fortunate are those. But this idea of, of blessed or blessed are those, is this, it, it speaks to this idea that God is with those and that they experience something holy or something right because of this situation. He's talking about the kingdom of God and the way that he is desiring for us to live in the kingdom of God. And he's making this proclamation of the radical inclusivity of God's love and his presence for people. 
Even those that culture deems worthless or broken are actually valuable, and God is, God is with them. There's some things that we can actually learn from them. So I want to look through uh, briefly. I want to kind of look through some of these, and then I want to just look at a couple learnings that we can take away from this. Uh, you guys still with me? Yeah. Um, awesome. I forgot to set my timer. So it's only been one minute of me talking in my book. So <laughs> buckle up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he starts off, and Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts off with this idea of kingdom of heaven, and he ends with this in verse 10. He talks about the kingdom of heaven again, and, and it's kind of sandwiched. This, this is really kind of a, a manifesto of sorts of this is, this is what the kingdom of heaven, this is how we kind of exist in this space. It's not necessarily talking about the financially poor when he says poor in spirit, and he's not necessarily talking about people whose faith is weak or they have kind of poor faith. Um, the Hebrew word uh, ani is what is translated here for poor, and it has this kind of connotation of people that recognize their dependence on God. Now, for a lot of people, when you are financially poor, you recognize your dependence on God. So sometimes those are connected. But you could have plenty of resources and still recognize your dependence on God. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit that recognize that they cannot sustain hope or purpose or meaning out of their own strength, out of their own money, out of their own status or position or power, that there's something more that they have to rely on God for. If we recognize the poor in spirit, if we see that these are people who recognize their dependence on others and others' dependence on them, then we can see how they are blessed. I want to say that again because it confused me when I said it. Uh, when we realize that I need other people, when I realize I need others, I need God, I can't do it on my own, I need people in my life, there is an easy progression to realize that we're blessed because we're surrounded by people. And the weight of the world is no longer on my shoulders because I recognize that I can't fix myself. I can't heal myself. I can't solve my own problems. I rely on God. There is an understanding of the goodness of being in that space that we have to be able to hold on to. Blessed, another way of saying this, is blessed are those who realize that they are designed to live in reliance on their heavenly Father and on others. And this really goes against a lot of what our world talks about. I mean, there's really less that we celebrate than people that are independent, that have made it on their own, that have pulled themselves up from their bootstraps and have overcome all the odds and, and don't rely on anybody for anything. But this is not God's design for us. He actually designed us to rely on others and especially and primarily to rely on him. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He goes on, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And again, there's a sense of, I don't Really? Like that's now what I have to do? That's what I have to become? I have to, I have to mourn? And, and I think in part what he's saying is that blessed are those who mourn because not everyone can. Not everyone does mourn. To mourn is to say I, I loved someone or something and I, I, I miss that. I heard or read one author, he, he said it this way. He said, a heart that knows how to grieve must be a heart that knows how to love. That there is this connection it doesn't take the mourning away. It almost feels a little bit like a 
you know, somebody would paint that on like barn wood and put it in a house or something. Like it feels a little bit like a cliche. But there's truth there because a lot of us do our best to numb ourselves from any and all pain. And sometimes what ultimately starts to happen in that process is we actually start to numb ourselves from the ability to love. And there is this kind of uh, cycle that begins to happen internally. Of course, we don't only mourn when we've lost someone or something. Sometimes we just mourn the reality of the world. I don't know if anybody has just kind of looked out at the world lately over the last day or a couple weeks, a couple years, whatever it is. We can, we can, I mean, even just this morning, I was reading news about fires and uh, first responders that have lost their lives over the last 24 hours. I mean, there's just, there's pain. And even for those of us that may not in this moment be experiencing loss or something to mourn about, there is always something to mourn about. I'm not trying to be an Eeyore. Uh, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but the reality is, is that someone is always dying. Someone is always experiencing loss. Someone is always getting a diagnosis. Someone is always experiencing abandonment. These, these are things that happen, and then you start to look at uh, other types of pain, and, and sometimes we just are aware of the reality of the brokenness of the world, and it hurts. It makes us, it, it can make us sad. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. And again, oftentimes people are so insulated from experiencing others' pain or outside pain. They've so insulated themselves that they don't, they never really wake up to that reality. But what Jesus is saying is that this is half of the reality, is that there is much to mourn about. And the other half of the reality is, and in that, we can be comforted. In that process, we're able to find comfort. Comfort in Christ, comfort in community. Comfort doesn't just come when mourning ends, when mourning or grieving or pain ceases. It's not just in the next life, but comfort is actually possible. It exists now, and mourning and comfort can happen simultaneously. The third beatitude, he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, there's a couple interesting terms here. This idea of meek, uh, being meek or meekness is not necessarily something that we use a lot to describe people these days. And I don't know that it's always had necessarily a real positive connotation. Um, I think that a lot of times people think of meekness as like weakness. Um, it's just very, you know, just soft and gentle and meek, you know. Um, but that's not really what it means. This word meek, Jesus actually described uh, himself that way in Matthew 11. The, the word that's translated meek is the Greek word praus. Uh, and Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am and he used that word, praus, I am meek and humble in heart. Jesus is clearly not insignificant or weak. So then what does meekness mean? A meek person is a person that has authority or has power, but they don't use it to, to lord it over others. It's a person that's marked by servant leadership versus ruling with an iron fist. Meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. 
The meek are those who submit their power, not fighting for self, but for the good of the kingdom of God. Meekness is power under control. I was thinking about this uh, earlier this morning. Um, I have this ability. It's a really unique ability that I have. Um, When I wrestle my 10-year-old, I'm wrestling my 10-year-old, I can win every time. Uh, I'm really good. Uh, He's got tiny little thumbs. Uh, um, four times is it? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there's this, uh, the, I have a silly example, but I, I say, okay, I'm going to control my abilities as a thumb wrestler, and I'm going to see if I can help use this in a different way. That's probably a terrible illustration. But meekness is power under control. It's like, I can, but I'm choosing to do something else with it. I'm choosing to use what I have in a different way, to use the strength that I have in a different way. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who submit their power, not fighting for themselves, not using it for themselves, not using it to take advantage or push around other people, but, but they submit whatever it is they have, whether you feel like you've got a lot or a little or somewhere in between, you, you take that power, your say-so, your influence, and you say, I'm going to submit this power that I have under the control of Jesus, I'm going to ultimately use what I have been given for the good of the kingdom of God. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, Righteousness, um, again, is one of these words that I think we have a direct correlation to uh, our faith uh, we think it means like a, a holiness, that we're in right relationship with God, but it actually is even more than that. It's right relationship with others. Uh, a lot of times in Scripture, the word righteousness and justice are kind of interchangeable. They're the same word translated different ways. When we think about justice of what's right, the way that things are intended to be, the way that, the way that things should be, there's a relational peace. Um, we have a sense that the world isn't the way that it should be that some things aren't fair, that some things aren't right, that some things aren't as they should be, and we long for those things to be right. I think a lot of times we long for those things to be right in the world more often than we want them to be right between us and God. But there's this invitation of do we hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to be in a right relationship with God. I want to see God appropriately. I want to experience God appropriately, and I want to be in good relationships with other people. I want to be in the right relationship with creation, Jesus equates our soul's desire for justice with the unrelenting physical desire for food and for water. It's this inescapable aspect of our human condition. And he promises that at some point it will be quenched. Uh, Martin Luther King um, had obviously this incredible ability to paint pictures with his words. And one of the things that he said that just I, I love so much is he said that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And so you kind of picture, at least I picture in my, in my mind, I, I picture it just kind of like looking out into the future and you just see uh, the, the kind of moral arc of the universe and it doesn't feel like it's actually things are going to get fixed or uh, made right or whatever it is, but he's saying that it bends towards justice. There's this sense that in time, over the horizon line, justice will be experienced. Righteousness, this idea of wholeness, right relationship with others and with God, it is promised. 
He goes on, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, one of the themes that shows up over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, as well as through a lot of the New Testament, is this connection between the way that we're in a relationship with God, our vertical relationship, and it's connected to our horizontal relationship with other people. Over and over again, Jesus teaches that the way that we care for others uh, impacts our relationship with God. The way we forgive others impacts the way we experience forgiveness. Uh, This idea of mercy, the way we show mercy to others impacts the way that we experience mercy. These ideas are uncomfortable for us. Okay. Trying to keep an eye on time here. There's a few more. I think that I don't have time to get into all of them, but there is this continued theme of taking who we are, what we have been given, whether we see it as a lot or as a little, whether we see it as a blessing or maybe we wish that we had been dealt different cards. There is this continued theme of Jesus teaching these people and I think teaching us and saying, I want you to understand that I am with you and I want to use what you have, regardless of how you feel about it, to help you and others experience the kingdom of God. I want you to experience uh, the world the way I intended for it to be experienced. I want you to experience wholeness, goodness, community, purpose, love, presence. This list, these beatitudes that Jesus goes through, they challenge our perspective in two ways. The first thing that it does is that the beatitudes are a reminder that no one is beyond God's blessing. There's kind of this understanding that they would have had in this space of, really, even those people are blessed by God? Because I would have assumed it was just the wealthy and happy ones. I would have assumed it was just all of the people I saw in Hollywood yesterday. Uh, Not all of them, but some of them. Other than the fact that, never mind. Okay, so I would have just assumed it was just, like I have a tag, I have a framework for who I think is blessed. I have a way that I imagine, like, oh yeah, they have that, they dress this way, they work there, they live there, they must be blessed, they are blessed. I have this framework, and Jesus is reminding us that no one is beyond God's blessing. And even the people that society or that our culture would maybe view as worthless or forgotten by God are oftentimes the people that God is closest with. And the second thing is that Jesus opposes our tendency to judge others by their circumstances. He opposes our tendency to judge others by our circumstances and the same with how we judge ourselves. And I think that this is one of the things that's kind of struck me the most over the last few weeks as I've thought through this and read through this and trying to be understanding these beatitudes and the way that they impact because all of a sudden it's like, okay, like I can't just judge so-and-so based off of what they're experiencing. I can't just judge whether or not God is with them or for them or God loves them or God's presence is near to them based on how much pain they're experiencing or based on uh, their uh, meekness or based on their desire to be peacemakers or based on their desire or, or the, they're poor in spirit. They rely on other people. I can't, I can't judge people that way. And what's so important is that I realize that I can't judge myself that way. The circumstances that you find yourself in today, the circumstances your family finds itself in, the circumstances your community finds itself in, does not define God's 
presence in your life. It does not define God's love for you or God's presence with you. This idea of who is really blessed or not blessed cannot be determined by the outward appearance or circumstances or the social media highlight reel or any other outward element. There's this reminder for us as we read the Beatitudes that we are called to certain things. We're called to submit ourselves to Christ. We're called to rely on God. Remember, we can't save ourselves. Um, And there's these promises as well in the Beatitudes of God's presence with us in difficulty, in mourning, when we experience persecution or, or pushback because of our faith. And the reminder, I think, for me out of this, and and I think maybe for many of us, is that when we're experiencing things that feel less than blessed, less than ideal, less than what we would want for ourselves, the reminder is that 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 does not speak to God's presence with us or God's desire to use us in that space. I think that each reality, each aspect of our lives that God entrusts us with, whether they're the ones that we would want or maybe they're difficult seasons, it's not just for us to experience those things. Um, What we have been given is for us to help share with others. And sometimes, and this isn't always the easy thing to hear, but sometimes we're given difficult things. And in those moments, we learn how to care for others. We're taught, how do, I, how do I show up for others when they're in difficult things? What I've learned in this process isn't just for me. It's for me to show up and care for and live in others. It's not just for me to hold on to these things. It's for me to help share these learnings, this reality of God's presence and the way he has designed us to live with others. Let's bow our heads and, and close out in prayer this morning. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.